Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is Tuesday, March 30th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 384. I am your host, Austin Walker. I am joined today by Rob Zachney. Good morning. It's a blustery day up here in Lowell. Yeah, happy Monday for us. It's a Tuesday for y'all, but it's Monday for us, and I'm feeling it. Also (laughs) joining us, Ricardo Contreras. How you doing, Cotto? You know, sometimes you feel like a boat stuck in a... In the canal, getting pushed around by the winds. That's yeah, Monday true. to me. That's true. <laughs> I wish it would have gotten stuck again. Like it almost did. Did I thought it did? did. You see that? It was. It, a, it was free and then it got, No, it's it's out. It's out. It's out. They're, out? They're, okay. they're, Damn. From what I can tell, Damn. they're hitting the horns. They're they're everyone's celebrating. I'm glad the people on the boat get to leave. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I feel like, though, if you're a shipping company and you block yeah. either the Suez or the Panama Canal, yeah. you're done. Like, you don't get to you're use done. these canals anymore. <laughs> Did you see that this is the same company that the the in the mid-90s lost, like, filled the Pacific Ocean with rubber ducks? What the fuck? A different one of their boats. Uh, you know, I, container loss happens, is my understanding. Sure. Like, it just does happen. It's just one of those things. Sometimes you're crossing the ocean. And you get hit with a huge wave and containers come loose and open up into the sea. We've just decided we're okay with that. We're <laughs> okay with some stuff dumping into the Pacific or the or what any of the oceans, honestly. Sure. Uh, and it happens. And what can you do about it? That's the cost of doing business, baby. Capitalism. Um, anyway, I, I really felt like the boat was me and that I was the boat. And so as I still feel deeply stuck in the stream of time, I would appreciate some fucking solidarity from the boat and it should get stuck again until I'm unstuck. I thought that we were in this together. Yeah, we were not. I think the boat is trying to be uh, a role model, you know, it's just putting us, giving us aspirational goals to get unstuck in our own lives. To get unstuck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Impossible. (laughs) Um... God, uh, how's everyone doing besides besides boat boat stuff? Anyone have any uh, weekend news? Any any feelings? Any impressions of of the end of March? Are we ready for April to kick in? Yeah, I mean, I, my weekend I was just straight crushing it. Like I can't <laughs> pretend I did not have a great weekend. Like it was one Collar of those like, oh man, I took so many walks with the dog. That wow. was great. Uh, like started getting to a good like spring workout. Regime. Uh-huh. That nice. White boy good. summer came early to Rob Zachney. <laughs> <laughs> you and Chet Hayes out Chet. here celebrating. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and of course, then I observed it with the most important uh, white boy ritual. I watched back to back Aaron Sorkin movies. God damn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which, which two? 
Uh, so I watched uh, Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs. Okay. And then I watched Fincher's The Social Network. Okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have not. I'd forgotten that the Jobs film even existed, if I'm being completely honest. So I. Is that I Kutcher? No, there are two Jobs bios. Yeah. That's yeah. true. This is what I wanted. One is about Ashton Kutcher and <laughs> him going to. Uh, I think it's all about like. Jobs' wilderness years after uh, he'd been housed from Apple or something. Uh-huh. And like I think that's the one that's like he goes to India and like has a whole <laughs> bunch of like uh-huh. Th- right. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. The Steve Jobs, like that's the name of the movie. Uh the one that Sorkin wrote leans into a lot of Sorkin's strengths, which is it's a series of stage plays. Uh featuring the same cast of characters okay. at major intervals uh in Jobs' career. I think where it gets like there's a lot of shit that I just am hardwired to love. Like he uh, Boyle uses different film stock for the different eras. Um, so they all have a different That's aesthetic uh, mm-hmm. and different like uh, quality to them and soundtrack. Um, the thing I can never quite get over with that movie is, you know, this is the problem with a lot of Sorkin movies where like it kind of valorizes assholes like, well, this person's horrible, but they're witty. Uh, yeah. They're urbane. <laughs> I think the reason I end up really liking this movie, and I've never been able to quite figure out if the the movie is aware of this, is everyone around Jobs is very sympathetic. And watching the movie, the movie is definitely saying, like, yeah, Steve Jobs is the sort of inspired design genius, etc. But the story that the movie tells as we see these brutal exchanges with uh, a surprisingly good Seth Rogen playing Steve Wozniak – Mm-hmm. Um, his daughter, played by three really good uh, chi- uh, child actors, uh, as she grows up and deals with estrangement, and a truly great Jeff Daniels. Um, as we see all this, is like Jobs is unbearable. He is a enormously cruel and vindictive person who says things that are just like jaw droppingly mean uh, <laughs> to people at the drop of a dime. And at the end of the movie it like kind of tries to put the toothpaste back in the tube where he has sort of a redemptive finale, Mm. but like right up until the buzzer, he's being horrible to a series of people Mm. uh, who've been pretty important in his life. And so I've never been sure if the movie is fully aware of how awful jobs looks uh, for, for most of it. And it's trying to say like, Hey, but we need to forgive him for, you know, because this is a guy who helped invent this new modern world we live in. Uh, or if it's one of those things where the writing and editing is so snappy that it just tends to overshadow the really great mm-hmm. character work that portrays how hard and crushing it was to work for jobs. Um, so I, but I like the movie a lot. Uh, I just think it has a, a serious problem with knowing what its message is. This came out in like, 2015 20 somewhere in there yeah, right so 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 pretty soon after his death and I, and I do wonder if this is the sort of picture you only get greenlit and you know i mean i'm sure there were already plenty of biographical materials out there we, we the, the steve Jobs story had been told by that point but the final act redemption arc for your lead four years after he's died or for your your principal subject seems like a a a, a, a deeply, uh, you know, Hollywood thing that like 
sure he was cruel to everyone in his life and and uh you know disavowed his own child and uh, you know all the the million other uh, acts of of cruelty large and small that came with his ascent but something 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 about him resonates with us doesn't it right um and i i i'm unsurprised i guess to hear that that's how that movie goes yeah there's um, um i guess the thing the thing that i would i would be curious about is versus um you know when i think about sorkin doing this sort of thing i don't know that i left social network feeling like that's what it was trying to do at all i don't feel like there was a final act turn in that way oh social network is a hit job yeah totally a hundred percent and i guess like you know to 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 uh the the the, one of the key differences there of course is is that is that zuckerberg is alive still uh maybe we'll maybe if zuckerberg had died uh a couple years before social network sorkin would have somehow managed to lionize him and and do a hagiography instead well you know it's so interesting because i think it says something a lot about zuckerberg that tech is very eager for heroes it, mm-hmm. it thrives on valorizing designers and engineers and best of all visionaries who mostly employ these people on like a mass capital. Yeah. Um, Zuckerberg has never had that cult of personality uh, as like, like his rise has not he, coincided with a Zuckerberg. There aren't Zuckerberg stands, right? No one gets in my mentions <laughs> and is like, yeah, but like there's not the, the Musk cult the cult of musk does not exist for zuckerberg nor does i guess the only place that i actually hear hear his name raised in any positive regard is actually in finance spaces not in uh tech spaces (laughs) particularly right yeah in terms of like the success that facebook has had the market share that it's grown the ways in which it was ahead of the curve on on social networking and, and web 2.0 and put not ahead of the curve, right? Like, but shaped the curve. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't think it, it doesn't seem to have that same army of like followers. It doesn't have that. The, he doesn't have that to him. In fact, you just heard me supplant the he with, with it because I was talking about Facebook. So synonymous is he with it in a way that I don't know that like jobs really was where Apple came to live beyond jobs in a real way in his life. Um, yeah, I think it, it helps that like with, with jobs, there's these physical objects that people develop their own personal relationships right. to. Right. I think mo- like one defining feature of Facebook is a lot of people realizing they don't really like it or they don't belong there anymore or they just don't want to be there anymore and they don't like the conversations they have there. I think the other thing that you have with Zuckerberg and this starts to come through in the movie, it's interesting. The movie comes out in this moment where the full degree to which – Facebook would devour the media market and uh, yeah. devour user data wasn't fully apparent. And so Fincher doesn't really see where this is going. He doesn't really have a thesis and neither does Sorkin. Sorkin mostly tells this as like a revenge of the nerds. Like, hey, here's your nerd. Here's the archetypal nerd revenge story. Here's the toxicity that's always underlying that. Yeah. Uh and it's really effective at that, but it cuts off the story of Facebook before the full like monstrosity uh, comes into view. But the thing it gets across is that Zuckerberg is a guy who's very good at uh, dissimulation of intention. 
And he actually tends to underplay, both because that is him temperamentally, but also he realizes very quickly that he needs to sort of mask what his full game yeah. plan is. This is a technique that he's yeah. developed 100%. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it does correl- correlate to, like, when he had that weird PR charm tour he was doing where people were like, Zuck's going to run for president. Uh-huh. It was stunning the degree to which he could not connect to anybody. He looked like a fish out of water in every setting. And that includes in Silicon Valley. Even there, he doesn't really look like he fits with his teams. Um, and I think one of the things the like, it is such a brutal portrait, Fincher and Sorkin paint of this guy who's just like repellent to everybody uh, around him, except for the handful of people who think I could probably use this nerd. Yeah, I, I can hitch. I can hitch my star to to or I can my wagon to the star and ride it long enough to cash out. Right. Yeah, mm. and it, it ends up. I also like that it's a portrayal. It it kind of does a hit on the Silicon Valley like boy wonder genius uh thing but man its portrayal of the winklevosses is brutal as well like its portrayal of like a complacent and declining american elite mm-hmm. is also pretty scathing uh and effective where like these guys just feel entitled to saying that facebook was their idea when they didn't have an idea and they had no ability to execute it but they're kind of like Harvard legacies. So don't they deserve, don't they deserve to dip their beak? Uh, it's, it turns out to be a great movie. I, I really liked it. I mean, all, Fincher is also just a master at this, right? Like um, I, I can think of, uh, I can think of other filmmakers, but uh, you know, among filmmakers in our era, I, I, I Fincher is, is near at the top in terms of um, creating a sort of, but building an atmosphere throughout a film that, um, establishes and supports the stakes of that film. Um, and, and which often means I buy into stakes that I otherwise are on paper would not, <clears throat> would not give a fuck about. Right. Um, uh, I find myself when I, when I watch social network, um, at the edge of my seat, uh, over, over the sort of back and forth about this company that I know I hate, uh, people who I find utterly repulsive and, in real life would prefer never to see, but there is something about the tone and tenor. And also, I mean, you know, you think about the social network, so much of that comes down to an incredible soundtrack also. But, but I I think that in terms of um, the way that film is shot in terms of the color grading on that, on that film, I don't know who did that work. I don't know how involved Fincher was actually, you know, uh, 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 you know, part of that conversation. I'm sure, I'm sure highly, but, but, you know, always don't leave that room open. Um, but that whole film feels, uh, of a, of, of a place where, where, and this is like such a strange thing, but like, could this have turned out differently? <laughs> could we be watching an AU film at any point? Could things, could things turn such that this motherfucker who I know is, is one of the most powerful people in the world, gets his. And I know the answer is no. And yet Fincher is able to draw such a taut line of tension around Zuckerberg and, and around Facebook's rise that like, I don't know, it's 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 a pretty remarkable one. Um, I, I have not seen it in a couple of years, but I'm glad to hear it holds up. Yeah, so this is, this is my first time. Uh, and oh, wait, I actually really? Because I oh, just started damn. listening to, um, I think, the Film Spotting podcast. I was going so wait, you didn't there. go back to this because you were like, I'm still so high off the Snyder cut. I need to see more Jesse Eisenberg, Lex, Lex Luthor. 
No, it was it was more um so Steve Jobs is one of my comfort movies just cuz I like the mm-hmm. I like the conceits that it employs, like I'm a sucker for that. Um and then I heard some people make the argument that Social Network might be the best Fincher, which I think is a pretty wild statement. I don't think I think that's a wild there. statement. I like <laughs> it, but it ain't, all, it ain't all that. I like <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that I still haven't seen Mank, so I don't I guess I don't have a full and I never saw his girl with the dragon tattoo. Um I've seen everything else though and I think that that's a the I think yeah, it's a I think leap. The, the I'm looking at a people, list now. The the two people on like the uh not not the Filmstruck podcast. That's that's uh, not what it was. Uh might be fighting in the war room. I can't remember. Uh sure. but the per- the two people who made this argument also said Girl with a Dragon Tattoo was their other one for Top Venture. So okay. I think they're out. I've never heard anyone make that case before. But no. But I uh, I mean Social <laughs> Network reviewed off the charts, so I'm not surprised yeah. to hear. I think I'm hear that, I think I'm still a uh Zodiac. Zodiac, yeah. Like I think that's it's my hard like to the beat. vertigo to yeah. the psycho Dude. that is um uh Fight Club. Uh, where hmm. where do you put do you, do you think seven is even in the mix, or do you think seven is like had its had its time and place but but that fincher for for me i feel like seven seven always comes up in my head i'm like but he's just not there there as a filmmaker yet like he just doesn't have there's the early flashes of it you can see his stylistic like turn happening um but i think it actually happens in the game and then and then kind of like blossoms fully this is the thing the game might might be the dark horse (laughs) (laughs) It's, I like the it's, game a lot. It's unlike anything else in so many ways that, like, I don't know. Anyway, welcome to the Fincher cast. <laughs> no one's going to stop us. We're just going to do it. Can you imagine? Uh, um, Waypoint 101 on the game. We on the game. The it game. says game. Yeah, <laughs> we're allowed to. Um, I, see, I probably IMO. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Austin, uh, when we talk about, like, role play and consent and, like, understanding, how would you say the game stacks up? I think there should have been some more safety rules at the table, Rob. (laughs) I want to say I certainly would have played the X card more than once if I were in the game. How do you feel about your father's suicide? You know what? Don't worry about it. We're just going to work with it. Uh, there is a there is a a, a, a thing in um, LARP uh, that that comes up a lot called bleed, which is when emotions will bleed into the game or out of the game. Kind of kind of the sense of like you you you're having a scene that touches on some really intense personal history uh, and it influences the way you play, or you have a particularly intense scene with someone, and that then you. Like, you know, you have the thing of like, wow, okay, we were fucking in it. And the whole, your whole day is just like, is just ruined (laughs) because (laughs) not only because of whatever the emotional content was in that scene, but because of the snap back from your kind of like method play in that, in that moment, that complete incorporation of the character you were into yourself and then to have to be pulled away from that. And that is what the game, the game, the 1997 David Fincher film, the game is filled with, I would say, um, God, I should rewatch the game. It's been way too long. That's another Um, one. Like I stumble into that one fairly on the regular yeah, um, yeah. There was a moment Panic when Room. it was just like on HBO. Yeah, Panic Room is, is a perfect Panic Room is Panic Room is to David Fincher what 
Um, uh, is it? I have to remember the exact name. I have to. I always get the last word right. The inside man is precisely. Yes. These are just good <laughs> flicks. Like these are just like I love movies like this where you have a a, a developer, a developer, Jesus, a filmmaker who is, um, you know, one of the greats, deciding to bring to bear their all of their talent, but not necessarily their all of their stylistic quirks or their particular ideological or thematic interests to just a good little thriller, to just a good little, like, let's just tell a fucking a tense story for the next however. Not that not that there isn't something happening in either Inside Man or Panic Room. Those things are obviously also engaged, but they're not the, you know, the movies that, that Fincher did before Panic Room were Seven, The Game, and Fight Club, and Alien 3. Uh, uh, and those movies are, like, on their faces about shit um and so the idea that like panic room would come out and be you know m- maybe maybe one of the best see this is the thing and i don't think about panic room panic room is very good jody foster is just killer in it. It, yeah boy what uh like home invasion suspense i guess is what it is yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's totally it's such a fascinating like and it doesn't the thing is, it's, it's heist ho- gone wrong Right. That's exactly that's the part of it that made me jump to Inside Man. Right. It's like these yeah. are both heist films, but with a second layer. Not that this is the thing. It's like I always I always trouble myself when I find myself saying it's like genre comma, but whatever, um, uh, because I think it under it undervalues the the work that's already been done in the genre space What other things have touched on that stuff. But I think I think and I do think Panic Room is almost more of a heist film than a home invasion film because of the way Fincher I don't know if it's a script thing or, or the the way it's it's edited or what. But like, you know, it, it, I would not it's a thriller, but I don't think it hangs in the halls of of you know, acclaimed home invasion thrillers. Um, but mostly because the from the eighties forward, or really I would say like the nineties forward, the home invasion thriller takes some big stylistic swings like you have you have you end up having directors who decide to use the home invasion thriller to go beyond thriller and to like deep existential horror and um which is maybe like home invasion horror goes to funny games or black christmas or right exactly and and in some ways that is more honest about what the home invasion thriller what a home invasion home invasion is one of the scariest things in the world to think about. Um, uh, you know, my door, I was, I'm, I was up for, uh, late last night writing and the, I'm in the part of the year where the pressure dynamics in my house will just open doors mm-hmm. in my house. Um, and every time it happens, you know, I've, there's a huge deadbolt on the door. You know, I, I live in an apartment in New York that have to get through the downstairs. It's a whole thing. But every time one of these doors opens, I'm, terrified for my life uh and and i feel like the you think about something like funny games funny games is so committed to that to the degree that it is going to communicate through absurd violence that this is this is the truth of what that fear is to some degree i mean funny games is doing a bunch of other stuff too yeah where's anyway panic room right you know, as opposed to like Seven, where Seven is like, we're going to look deep into the heart of darkness. Yes. Panic Room, at no point do you ever really think that Kristen Stewart's going to get it. Like, you right. just don't, like, right. she's not going to get killed. No. And <laughs> that's not the movie you're watching. And so it's going to be like, how are they going to get out of this? And I think that's also because it's so clear that um, Forrest Whitaker on the other side of this 
is clearly like the decent, not like criminally uh, violent. Like, yeah. Uh, so like there's there's it feels like Fincher in that movie has put bounds around it. It is still scary. Dwight Yoakam is just this yeah. menacing figure yeah. in well, the movie. <laughs> yeah, listen, shout out to Dwight Yoakam, someone who knows how to be fucking menacing in, in anything that he, he wants to be, um, uh, which is which is maybe not something you would uh, you would assume by that, dude. But absolutely. Uh, I feel like um, the, the, the other the other thing, the other movie that changed the home invasion thing, right, is 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 um, why am I blanking on its name? I'm blanking on its name because it's French and I don't know. I don't remember the the pronunciation um why the fuck am i blanking on this French. uh uh high tension right um which which is like one of those movies it's like hard to recommend um because and actually i'm thinking about it now and i'm thinking about like the history of of the home invasion thriller i guess i actually in some ways it's I, i'm wrong to say hey this is like a change in the nineties and two thousands, because I think about like moral outrage over films. There are a lot of like classic horror films from the seventies that are home invasion films, but that are that again, so firmly tap into that sense of real terror. Um, And then, then like, you know, popular horror films pivot away from that and towards slasher flicks with, mascot characters not that i i'm not sure that anyone's ever called like freddy or jason a mascot character before you know the famous mascot character is sonic mario <laughs> freddy jason um but but when you think about like the sort of the exploitation era in film there were a lot of of uh uh 1970s um home invasion thrillers that were just as horrible in in their content in terms of depictions of uh, things that go beyond just physical assault and into into you know sexual assault and uh, the you know death and cannibalism of family members and all of that shit were all over the place in in seventies horror and I feel like it steps away from it and so like that's the thing Panic Room not in conversation with those right Panic Room is not part of the the kind of return to exploitation the return to body horror the return to any of that sort of like you know the the 2000s were filled with that we're filled with with a return to that stuff panic room is not doing that panic room is slick in a way um and that's because fincher is a slick director um but but not a but not a clean slickness and i think that's why why i've always like i think that's why i resonate with zodiac so well right zodiac yeah. is like a is a fucking smooth movie about a terrible series of killings. Um, but it goes down like a cup of coffee. And that is, I think, a a uh a difficult act to pull. And and I don't and and I, I in some ways I'm curious if if work's been done drawing a line between something like Zodiac and the true crime boom that that has happened in the last like 10 years. I recently watched um I wish I wish Gita were here because I know that I know they also just watched uh True Detective season three. But like the Obviously, the relationship between uh, the sort of documentary and the true crime boom, uh, both through through things like serial in podcasts, but then also um, what was the what was the why am I blanking on the big first true crime documentary that everyone was talking about? Um, God, why this is the Netflix this one or uh, was it was around the same time as it was around the same time as that Rob. 
but there was the other, there was another one that was just as making a murderer, Met, yeah. right? Oh, right. Shit, uh, I forget about like, that one because yeah, totally. Yeah. But like now we're we're we. In fact, I I would now guess we're through the bulk of the true the kind of true crime boom, and we're moving into like the cult boom. That seems to be the new uptick of fucked up documentary thing that people are into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but but I I'm curious what work has been done with uh, about the groundwork laid around like you know popular film and and true crime stuff if there was a is there a spark before serial that that i I, you know obviously the crime the crime film uh uh or or crime tv was obviously something that was growing throughout the history of media (laughs) um and and cable tv specifically filling the air with like 24 seven coverage of John Benet Ramsey and uh, and a billion other similar cases thereafter. Well, this is this is what I find so fascinating about Zodiac, and I think why it ends up feeling like such a thesis statement movie is that to me the entire movie is contained when Downey Jr.'s character because it's sort of two two halves of the case, like yeah. when the when the right. killer is active. Mm-hmm. And when the case is being revisited by uh, uh, Gyllenhaal's character years later, as he years tries later to and his family is falling apart, and yeah, 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 yeah. yes. And so and, yeah, and Robert Downey has of, moved onto a boat, and it's it's just fantastic. Yeah, and you have multiple like hallmarks of Fincher protagonists, people dangerously obsessed, etc. Um, but to me, like the thesis of the film is kind of contained when Downey Jr.'s character, this dogged old reporter, is like, yeah. hey, you know. It's actually Dude. pretty stupid that we were obsessed with this. It doesn't yes. matter. Like, like in terms of societal problems, things that are actually dangerous, things that are meaningful to people's lives, serial killers do not rate. The obsession we have with the violence and the violence of society is not actually that significant compared to other things we should be paying attention to. Structural issues. But we don't care about that. We just fixate on the serial killer. And then the rest of that movie is like, yeah, but we're really we're gonna fix it on that serial killer we're now. Fucking aren't we? figure out, yeah. Uh-huh. And the film <laughs> is even it that tells guy us, at the warehouse, you know? yeah. <laughs> and the film even tells us, hey, this is probably an unsolvable case. Like all the people we yep. are told to trust reach different conclusions uh, by the end of the movie about like you know who's who is a good suspect for it. And the movie just kind of ends with Gyllenhaal being like. I think it's this dude. <laughs> and the movie ends on that note, kind of winking like, yeah, we can probably say that it was that dude. But we've already been set up to know that that's a, that's a convenience of fiction in some ways. This is the yeah. catharsis we want. But if you've been paying attention, it's not a done deal that any of the people have been trotted out as like, you know, this is our guy. This is the lock. Like, it's not satisfying in that way, but it feels satisfying. And yeah. I think that's kind of the genius of the film. Man, this is what was so good about Mindhunter also, is that, <laughs> did you finish Mindhunter, Rob? Uh, no, I ended up putting on, on pause, but I, I <sighs> probably, I'm pretty primed to go back. Please. The second season of Mindhunter is about that exact mm-hmm. prime. Well, it's about the overlap of those two things, I would say. Kata, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. The- it, it, yeah, I, I would say that, like, there is, I mean, obviously, you have the lead's complete fascination with with the serial killer. With the 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 repeat killer, what, what's, what's there? Isn't there's another word for it that predates serial killer, right? Um, that they use was all the re- time in that show. I thought it was repeat, but I but I but I now I don't Feels, remember if that was exactly yeah. right. Um, in any case, the the you know the development of of profiling techniques and all that stuff, um, but comes hand it comes comes into contact with 
what happens when you have death in part of a community that has been forsaken, um, uh, who do not have access to the, the resources necessary to do what frankly is not very much police work in order to, you know, stop uh, abductions and killings from happening from, from truly some of the, the, the most vulnerable people in, in society uh, or in that, in that community. Um, And, and the way those two things intersect his, his like his desire to crack a case uh, with the local community being their own best advocates um, and learning how to use him uh, and, and his weird preoccupations as a method to get them a little closer, not to justice, but to safety is fascinating. Um, I, you, you should watch that. You should finish that first season and then watch the second season. If you get a chance to, I was like, I, I when they set up what the premise for season two was, I was not excited about it. Mm. Um, uh, and then I think that they, they kind of nailed it. Um, I, I think that they voiced the right characters and, and it came back around as, Something I was really, really happy with. I would love to rewatch that show. Damn. Hmm. Well, thank you for coming to our David Fincher podcast. <laughs> Time for letters. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, the, we've spoken about Mind Hunters, but what about those Monster Hunters, huh? There we go. <laughs> Top tier. That's why you come here. You come here for the best, I've best segues in the game. Five star podcast, five star five star podcast. <laughs> God. Uh-huh. Um. Uh. Well, Monster, Monster Hunter. Hunter. Monster Hunter. That game's good. Kata, you're in. Yeah, you're I'm in. in. You're in on Monster I'm Hunter Rise. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still. I'm. I'm still in low ranks right now, but I've yeah, played same, same. like. I'm in four star. Four. Um. Four star uh, village quests. I haven't touched hub quests at all. This is a funny distinction that they made this time around. I feel like that wasn't in the in world. Um, Wait, which? Sorry, say that the again. The difference between like world? hub, quote, like quote, different. Oh yeah, quests. I think that's new. For, or it, it certainly was not in the world. I don't yeah, know if it's new, yeah. new, but yeah. Um, which I did not understand at first. So I did a couple of those thinking I should keep these two kind of the same. And I was like, oh wait, these are much harder and meant for multiple people. I see. Yeah, um, I still like doing them solo because I find the hub or the village quests are kind of pushover. Yeah, like yeah, especially if you're these... if you're up on your gear, you could just blow through. But I'm like monsters. down with that because I know it's gonna yeah, get hard. In, in I want to just get to high rank. Yeah, I want to get to with those yeah. harder yes. fights. Yes, although the barrier. Yeah, like uh, I just um, I should note also. Off. Here's an important thing I learned over the weekend huh. is. If you just do all your village quests and you, yes. you finish that line I, of quests, it will you won't have to do the rank up mm-hmm. quests for the hub uh, and it'll just auto rank you up. And so yeah. that is useful uh, to know yeah, because I, otherwise you'll end up trying to do what I was doing, which was go down both routes at the same time right. and do all of the rank up stuff twice, basically not worth it. Yeah, no, I've, I have I touched like two quests of the hub quests. So it's still like ranks like one star or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hit four star in my village ranks and it was like, Hey, here's a, here's a quest for, uh, up- upgrading your, your hub, your hub shit so that, uh, yeah, it'll be up to par with like, I guess, you know, cause by the time, ta- by that time you're doing four star quests, you've got mm-hmm. a lot of different weapons and stuff and things you can make. So, um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun, but 
Uh, what are you? What do you? What? What's your weapon? What are you playing? Uh, mainly charge. Uh, charge blade. But okay. Uh, how is what? I have not touched charge blade yet. I I I'd learned charge blade towards the end of my time with World, and I really mm-hmm. liked it. But but I'm curious, what's up with what's up with charge blade and rise? Is there anything like? Uh, how would you so, how would you talk about like how it's how the the um wire bug that's what yeah. it's called right wire bug moves like silk silk bind attacks I don't silk, know. <laughs> silk bind attacks they uh, had yeah. they used like four different names for the same like it's they just used, one just call it one thing it's the wire bug yeah. and it does attacks and also you can move around with it whatever <laughs> uh-huh. um but yeah the they haven't been uh too wild yet honestly um there's uh, a kind of a horizontal movement one that automatically puts you into axe mode, which is actually pretty good for getting mm. off the like super move that you have with the charge blade, which is once you have like your sword, your your shield charged up, and also like a bunch of files charged up, you're supposed to like unleash a massive of like super move that has like a bit of a combo to get into even. Yeah. So this allows you to like close distance like really quickly and then puts you in a position where you can hit the button and go instantly into the animate the animation for the super move. Um, okay. Which is, which is good to have uh, because that it, that's kind of like the hardest thing to always like pull off is like finding the right moment where you're not going to get knocked on your ass while you yeah. do this giant wind up animation. Um, and then the other one is uh, a, a shield move where you block and it'll instantly fill all your your vials, which is usually what you. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, it's good, and you can also you can also transition out of it into um, the move that charges your blade. There's like an extra move that charges your blade with with some elemental power, mm-hmm. like that. Also, usually is like a couple of uh, hits down a combo chain. This time, it's like oh, you can go right out of that into that. So it's a good way to kind of. Um, and also because the monster touches the silk bind or whatever, it also ups their like I can ride you later, uh, the mounting uh, stuff, which is good. Right, um, right. Also, uh, now I understand like the mounting in this game was completely replaced. Like both systems that were in World and Rise are like uh, in World and Iceborne are yeah. just completely supplanted by this one. It's not like an, an additional yeah, mode. The other stuff is just not there not there at all. At all. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I've 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 been really surprised with how much verticality there is in these levels. There's so many walls that look like that's just like your bog standard video game wall. I'm in a canyon. I can't yeah, that's, go that's up a, that. Yes. And then like, nope. It turns out if you got the wire books, there's for shit it, up there. You can go up there. There's like fucking yeah, gathering points, like mm-hmm. rare shits up there. Good vantage points to kind of like scout scout out where everything is. It's totally. it's really um like quite surprising how much of the and I think part of it is that uh because they're using kind of lower textures and like they have to like save space on like the amount of like you can tell kind of like that the amount of polygons that are used to make up the spaces are not as many as like in world or whatever obviously yeah and so yeah. some of it is like oh that looks so sheer that i'm like that feels flat and like oh like meant to be a barrier or whatever like it doesn't look textured in a way it's like oh i can grab i can like do a little wall run up that and get on top of it which you can totally do, um, which is great. Um, it's actually yeah. yeah the look up the thing I ended up doing is like time. I'll do <laughs> yeah. Look up all the time. I'll get on my my palam- palamute, palamute 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 like a malam- See, I've malamute. See, I've heard people say palam 
See, that's, I don't know, Malamute, Malam- Mal- or Malamute. Malam- Malamute. Mute? Malamute, right? I it think has so. to be Malamute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have been saying mute, and then a bunch of uh, people in a, uh, uh, not a stream, but like a VOD I was watching were saying moot, and they are all like pro-Monhun people. And I was like, well, they must know what the fuck they're talking. They must have heard someone <laughs> right. in a Capcom stream right. say it. Um, uh, anyway, your palam, your palamute. Uh, I will jump up on a wall with that, climb as high as I can. But the, you know, you're, if there isn't a, a kind of a ledge to climb up on, you can only go a little bit. Then hop off the back of that, yeah, and then silk bot or whatever wire, wire bug. bug, wire uh, silk bot attack, wire run. bug yourself, yeah. <laughs> Wirebug yourself. God Shit, damn. Damn. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Physician, wirebug thyself. Um, the the so yeah, that stuff that stuff is all really and, and that verticality is all through the combat too, right? Yeah. Like one of the um one of the switch axe moves that is extremely sick is oh. called soaring wyvern blade, where you like you do a um basically a, a huge leap. I want to say, do you, do you leap up? First, or yeah. how, do you, how does it? So I actually I just you, picked you up, up doing switch this incredible axe drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You end up. Yeah, it's it's like a it's almost like a Shoryuken that you yes, that you land. Yes, it and is then like an uppercut. You and then yes. there's like a, a downward diagonal uh, uh, wire that pulls you down. But as you're going down, it's you're so fun. Going sword fucking first. Sword it's first. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. It's great. <laughs> um, I'm slowly being brought back in on switch axe. I really like long sword, but as I get ready to start playing with people i know that longsword is like notorious for knocking back your buds and i don't think any other weapon has that issue and so i'm like well i don't want to be annoying maybe i'll just <laughs> use longsword when i'm by myself and now and i'll i'll do switch axe when i'm on co-op um Hang because on, i just imagine yeah. how cool your buds will think you are if you're the one yeah. longsword master you're right who <laughs> doesn't cause those problems and it's like, man, <laughs> I had certain preconceptions about like people who prefer to use longsword. Right. But you're like, Zonichi they're just not conscientious like Austin is. Yeah, exactly. Austin has mastered the blade uh, in such a way that he can bring to bear all of its positives and none of its negatives. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. You're not wrong. <laughs> I just, uh. I worry. I worry about the hubris uh, of, of thinking that that could be me. Maybe after I practice some more, you know, I'll just continue to study the blade. And once I'm confident to that, I can arrive on the battlefield like a sword saint. Yeah. I can, I'll be, I'll be ready to to deploy it. Um, yeah, that game's good. I, Kato, can we can we have the conversation we had on Twitter today? Yeah. just on the, oh, the microphones. Sure. <laughs> Why the fuck do people keep saying that this is a good one to? I don't. This is the best one to get into. I don't understand. I don't uh, understand I, it at all because I found a world so much easier to get into yeah. than than this, and I've yeah. played Monster Hunter now multiple times. But like, there's no. I think what what did you say? What yeah, was your tweet? I, well, you should just should just read your tweet. Basically, uh, what I was saying is that I think. What what is happening right now is that people who already like Monster Hunter are finding this on ramp so easy because it is streamlined and there's a bunch of quality of life improvements that it's like oh this one's so great I'm sure someone new would understand this it's like motherfucker there's no tutorial like there's nothing to like it barely mentions the fact that what you're supposed to do to pick out a weapon is go to the training area it's like the training area is over there. Uh-huh. 
uh, here, uh-huh. grab this katana. And it's like, here's the thing. It's themed like medieval, like uh, Japanese era, right? Like, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm yeah. going to play with a katana. The first, If you're playing this game as your first Monster Hunter, you yep. just think, oh, yeah, sure. I'm a, I'm a samurai, so I have a katana. That's obviously yep. going to be my only option. The idea or that there, there are a dozen other weapons to choose from yeah. is not really brought up Not at you. all. Not at all. And um, I understand the like fucking the wire bug stuff, getting into fights quicker, being able to ride your Palamute and like heal and um, fucking sharpen your weapon and all this shit at the same time while going to the wet. Like all of that stuff streamlines the whole uh, 100% quality of life through the roof. It's great. Um, the fact that you can if you already understand the, the core systems. Yes. yes. <laughs> The fact that like all of the monster resistances and drop rates and or not drop rates, but drop table, I guess, uh, are all in the game instead of like on a wiki somewhere is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that that's the case. I truly do. That doesn't. But that stuff, you don't even know <laughs> to look for it. Yeah. If you and they haven't still played do, a game like this before. And they still do the thing where like the first time you fight anything, you're not going to have that information. So like no no you can still no. go you can still accidentally pick the wrong thing like going into a Rathian fight with a poison thing because you forgot Rathians have poison on their tails and probably have a resistance to poison totally a thing that I totally didn't do last night at all did you for, did you I, forget that I, did you forget <laughs> going with a poison weapon forgotten. thinking you were gonna I just had a poison weapon on it was my best one mm, it was a well, switch that's axe. not how the game works <laughs> no, you know that's not, not how the game works you know it ain't a game about the best one <laughs> yeah it's not just the it's big, about the right yeah, one uh-huh. which is what makes the series so good yeah right. The, the thing that makes the series so good is that you end up with um, a tool of kind of a, a knowledge about your tool set, which I right. by which I mean your moves and also your your utility, but also just a big tool box in terms of what are you going to bring to bear yep. in any fight sequence um, or any any mission. What basically. elemental resistances um, you need? What elements yep. you can do yep. for more extra damage? What uh, totally. How to how? Sometimes you're going up against something you just don't have yeah. a uh, silver bullet for, and it ends up being like, okay, well, given that, how can I <clears throat> try to tilt this fight in my favor anyway? Yeah. Um, uh, good game. And it's it's, just, uh, to be clear, I really like it. Yes. I think it's genuinely. I, I I'm enjoying it when I'm in a fight as much, if not more, than World. Yeah. Um. I just think that it's. I think that we should check ourselves as fans of things <laughs> when we're trying to Absolutely. encourage new people. And not give the impression that like because what happens I think in my experience when something is very obtuse and someone tells me oh this is the moment to get in this is the easy it's ever it's, it's ever going to be that over promise primes me to think that I am a fool and an idiot for not getting being able to like block something <laughs> yeah instead of instead of saying listen the ramp is is hard but if you have any questions you can ask me right. I'd so much rather that. And maybe that's not a universal, but also I, I just if you're trying to get people into something, try to think about what it is from their perspective. Try to like empty your head of the the all of the knowledge you have learned hard fought over years of playing this series. <laughs> um uh just, I think even things like the basic loop, the idea that like, okay, what I do in this game is fight monsters multiple times to get the parts I need to go down the, the tech tree to, to upgrade my stuff is not really something that the game lays out in that way. And I, and I think a fair counter argument to all of this is to say like, yeah, but if it did all that, it would be wasting my time and I'm glad it's not doing that. And I, and I, because I, you know, I've definitely seen that argument out there. The idea of like, 
the nice thing about this is it, it it gives the it gives veteran players quality of life changes and then it gets out their fucking way and lets them play. Yeah. I think that that's a totally viable argument, but 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 I don't think you can you can use that argument. And also, this is the easy it's ever been, right? To get into the game, right? Um, I, I genuinely think World was easier for me to get into. Yeah, yeah. There's um, you know, there's like a very light uh, kind of story through line, but in World it was much more directed, right? Like each like you only ever had like one next quest that like you did step by step, and they ramped up kind of naturally. In this one, you're like giving six quests at a time is like you know pick them and doing them in whatever whatever order and like if you're not yeah, if you're unsure totally. what these things are how they're different like you could pick one that's much harder than where you're currently at and uh even though they're all two star like there are definitely differences within that list of like okay well this one's got a couple weird uh element things or like is a little bit of a faster one that jumps around a bunch that um you probably should do some of the other ones if you're still trying to like get yeah. a handle on your weapon and stuff too, right? That totally. sort of like totally. difficulty ramp was laid out for you in World, and they mention that you need to go go to the training hall and like pick out your weapon and like understand that it's like that choice is very very important at the beginning of the yeah. game rather but than just also being, like, not final, like, right? Exactly. Like right. it's just, you can yeah. you can always forge whatever you want. You can always change, but. Um, this one is just like here's a katana. This is how you equip weapons. Here's a here's your katana. Uh, go hunt. Yeah, um, it's a rough. It's it's that part of it's rough. It really is. And I and I and I you know I still hope lots of people get into the game yeah. because I think it's really good. I think it, it's genuinely extremely good. So kind of we need to play some. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's gonna be one of those games where like. It's, it, I see it almost like how Destiny was like a, a year or so ago where it's like, sure, it's good to play. But like if I ever um, suggested it to anyone, it was, it was only going to be under the like, hey, and also I'm here to walk you through anything you need because otherwise it's, there was no on ramp for that game in the same way. It's just like mm-hmm. it, there's good mechanics and I enjoy yeah. it, yeah. but uh, it's not going to help new players starting from scratch. Totally. All right. We should take a break and come back. We have other stuff to talk about. So let's let's hit that break. BRB. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we are back, and we'll talk about we'll talk about a, a cosmic mystery. Talk about a a mystery of the stars, a, a, a hard boiled detective story about the. I, I played some Genesis <laughs> Noir. I'm not going to belabor it. Genesis Noir is out. Uh, it's on Game Pass. That's where I was playing it. Rob, I think you played some of this also, perhaps. Yeah, that game um, looks stunning. It is. It is. It it is stunning. It is stunning to to see it move. Um, 
I I guess what's what's the high level? What's the what's the high level pitch on this? This is for people who have no idea what Genesis Noir is. It is a very striking um adventure game, not in the you collect an inventory of items which you use to solve problem sense, in the you are moving from um kind of scenario to scenario, um, working your way through narrative content by clicking on the right things on the screen um and the the kind of plot as it were of the game is rob do you think it's better to do high level or like a, the beat by beat intro because it's such a weird thing right <laughs> am i wrong in feeling that about this game it's a profoundly weird thing like i think the way i ended up stumbling toward this when uh because lewis gordon reviewed it for us sure um it's the story of creation, um, like the Big Bang, the Big basically. Bang, yeah, the expansion of the universe, the the uh, the creation of of creatures, of stars, planets, creatures, and culture, but told as a pursuit noir, yes, um, <laughs> a, like a hard, a down yeah. on his luck, uh, pi looking character in a like monochrome, like black and white movie looking world, yeah. Uh, trying to figure out the, trying to solve the case of the Big Bang. Right. And in this case, the Big Bang is a lover's quarrel, is mm, is a, a laser blast <laughs> being fired from the barrel of a gun by a saxophonist at a jazz singer in her apartment. And you, <clears throat> a, a watch seller, have stopped time. A watch seller in the on the street, hey, look what I got in this trench coat, a bunch of watches <laughs> sense. Stop time and say, how do I redirect this such that this singer who I'm infatuated with uh doesn't get caught by the Big Bang? How do I and you and you start diving into this vast laser beam blast, which is which Inside of it contains all of the moments of the universe's history in order to piece things together. By, and by piece things together, I mean l learn about the history of physics, but also <laughs> of a particular model of, I don't know how far in you are, Rob. Did you get to like the rare earth? No. Like thesis shit? Like, it, it is a particular model of, of the universe's creation. I mean, obviously, right? Like the Big Bang is is scientifically a thing that I think is widely has wide consensus over. But any story about creation is going to be filled with some some moment of like, and this is how I think it worked versus this is how I think it worked. Um, and so, like one of the things, right? I guess God, we didn't even say this. Whenever you go into a new chapter, whenever you enter a new speck inside of the strange laser blast that <laughs> represents the Big Bang and the expansion of the universe, you'll get like a text, a text intro that is like, aha, here is something you did not know about the way that stars and planets were formed. And those were called red giants or whatever, right? It's so the other thing is. If you ever saw the movie Tree of Life, yeah, and you remember how half yeah. of that movie is like the story of creation and like 
the cycle of uh, extinction and rebirth that has happened that predates uh, humanity. Imagine that part of the movie, but done with a swinging soundtrack. Uh, and <laughs> it's all done through the guise of a little PR uh, PI man yeah. uh, running through the mean streets of uh, the primordial soup. But also, as he's solving the case, discovering things like, oh, man, uh, light and elements are beginning to generate life. And look at just time passing. I'm the master of time. And, oh, my God, life is just springing from this, uh, from the aftermath of this gunshot. Um, And so what I would say is, is this pretentious? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Is it cool? Yeah, I'd say it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's 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 such a the 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 it is rare I think to see an aesthetic that is at once so dense and so stark. Um the only colors really used are black, white and gold and then some grayscale work, right? Um uh and which means that like the gold is just popping every time it's on screen. The characters are all um dark black with white outlines and then set against a sort of kind of graying background. Uh, which means that they pop in a really bright way. Um, but everything is so, this is, you know, lines and, and, and light in a way that, that does make it seem stark. Go ahead. Kyle. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to place this. I feel like I've, I know this character design and like this line work, mm-hmm. but I cannot remember. But <laughs> if you saw Soul, they did a similar thing with some of the characters in there that are like mostly uh. line work. Uh but it's it's from a specific era, and I'm having trouble placing. Well, it's got a beautiful like Art Deco type, uh, yeah, aesthetic as well. Just like the typefaces it chooses, yes, uh, the the character of the line and these sort of semi streamlined shapes uh, that it presents a lot of things with. Um, yeah, it also has here- those like Mondrian lines though too, uh, like in some of the background and shit. Uh, but like the character design work itself i feel like is is distinct i I just can't remember who this references yeah i'm just curious though like for me as i'm playing it there's definitely moments where i'm like the path forward is so narrow that a lot of times i feel like i'm just feeling around for the next part of the animation to play Mm -hmm. and then the animation happens or i'm making or i'm doing something on my controller to make the animation like unfold and it's kind of cool like visually uh musically it's it's always a treat it it is a great looking game it is it is cool uh but at the same time like i am not sure there's a lot to explore uh as no that's not the sort of game it was which is which is like i think the opening maybe suggests that it will be because you have this kind of city in front of you and there's a diner and like oh i wonder if i get to go over to that diner i go to you 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 are seeing those spaces through flashbacks and stuff like that because all this is also happening this is kind of why it's kind of hard to grok in an apartment like you're you're going in and out of the big bang which it again is a laser beam being shot from a gun inside of an apartment complex inside of a city that is sort of this weird metaphysical noir space um um and i think that that stuff is all like i, I think you're exactly right rob that like you're one this is a game that that Sometimes surprises and 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 delights in the ways in which I can interact with something. I think of the the bit of like um, there is sometimes just joy in clicking on things and dragging things and spinning and spinning my analog sticks if I'm playing with a controller and that stuff is is toy like in a way that I mean as a compliment. 
but also it it's only ever toy like. I don't know that it's done any meaning making through its interactive elements. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I was looking for the deer in one section, uh, I didn't feel like uh, it was a particularly interesting take on the sense of searching or that it was saying anything really specific about the development of hunting inside of human culture or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't think is- that stuff wasn't deployed in anything like a um, a complex, nuanced or or cogent way. It was just like walk around this space. Yeah, I think this is where the like I, I bring up Tree of Life because this was a movie that got a reputation for being inscrutable and like kind of weird. I always thought that was a bad misreading. I, like that's it's a, pretty such un- a yeah. I've never gotten that about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that movie, it's a really direct film. I don't. Yeah. And anyway, go ahead. One of the things that gets across is that scales of like birth, law, destruction, yes. loss, grief happen on cosmic scales as well. They happen on species levels. Yes. Um, and they will happen to you on the realm, on the level of a parent for their child or a brother uh, for their sibling. It will happen at that scale too, and it will be no less profound. It will be no less impactful than the end of all things um, for you, for the person most affected. Yes. And I think the movie succeeds really brilliantly at sort of tying the personal to the sense of the cosmic. And here it uses the the aesthetics of the personal, but without that sort of meaning to your to your point, where there there's nothing bridging the cosmic story to the personal. Well, and this is where my biggest critique of this this thing is. Or, uh, biggest critique isn't the right word, but most most seriously felt as I played. Tree of Life does the exact thing you just said, right? It draws a line between the personal and the cosmic. Um, but it devotes Malik devotes a lot of time and and the actors in in that cast devote a lot of energy to making the personal felt um and while both Genesis Noir and Tree of Life are both presenting deeply heteronormative understandings of like what love is for instance in Tree of Life it's rendered human on the screen through great acting and beautiful cinematography the lingering shots of the suburbs of of you know people playing in the grass looking over bridges at their little at streams um the domestic drama feels like dom- like like domesticity it has the weight of a bad thursday night right like that stuff is recognizable and it is not assumed to be universal it is performed it is it is the the viewer is brought in to the drama through technique in Genesis Noir, the framing of this device, the framing device for this entire thing is something that looks like a lover's quarrel or a love triangle between a woman and two men. Um, and is that the ways in which it returns to that rhythm and that, and that like particular note is rarely, if ever developed in any way, <laughs> it is, it is playing in the, in the realm of, um, archetype, right? Ah, yes, the beautiful jazz singer whom the con man falls in love with. And then that is then connected to the arc of, of all history of all of the, it is, it is, it is something that is assumed to be universal and then connected to the one universal story, the one true universal story, which is how we all became, came to be. The one thing that we are all grounded by is we were star stuff, right. To, to steal from saying like, that is it. That is the one thing that connects us. And where tree of life, I think insists on the subjective meaning making across all of that. I think if what tree of life is saying, and, and I think this is what you just said really well, is that it says, even the universe has subjectivity. 
it feels like Genesis Noir wants to extend the the universe's universality into the personal and say, ah, yes, the the desire to make things go the way they didn't that's that's just part of how the universe works and that is the 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 timekeeper trying to redirect the energy of this gun away from the the woman he is obsessed with these are these are akin these are these are the same type of 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 thing and it doesn't it just doesn't work for me because they're not characters i, I think you can tell that story i think you can tell it in a noir but noir is character driven like that's the thing that separated it from previous detective work. It's not about the mystery or the plot or like that stuff is there, but that stuff is a vehicle for characters slamming into each other and revealing themselves to be, you know, vastly incompetent or, or moved by some, some deep tragedy or caught up in something larger than themselves. It's not, they're not, they're not mystery stories in that way. Um, and so I think this misses that part of what draw, what makes me really like noir, but also what makes me like grand totalizing, so, you know, pretentious, self-indulgent <laughs> epics like Tree of Life, which is a good epic draws you in and makes you relate to, to the poetic figure, right? Like so the good epic makes you go, ah, yes. Despite the difference in scale, despite whatever uh, the 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 you know absurdity of action that is happening here, th- I can connect to this thing, and I think Tree of Life specifically does that. Between it's like the dinosaurs are going extinct, and hey, the relationships in this family are changing because it renders the re- it spends the time on the relationship with the family and and lets us accept that the dinosaurs going extinct is the universal to connect to instead of trying to connect it the other way. Um, all of which is to say, I think Genesis Noir is a gorgeous, beautiful thing. I, I think I'm going to finish it. I think I'm only an hour or two out. I'm near, I'm near the end of the laser blast. I only think I have a couple of additional things to go through. Um, but I hit a bug that, that locked my character in place, uh, about halfway into one of the longer levels. And so I had to shut down. And when I rebooted, I had to start that level over. So I was like, I'm good for now, actually. Um, are you playing it on Xbox? <laughs> I'm playing it on, on PC. Okay. Yeah. Cause at, at Xbox, there have been moments where I'm like, is this right? Is this how it's supposed to run? Like, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of screen brightness going up and down, and like it seems semi-intentional, but like it's really distracting. Yeah, um, yeah. Like it is a game that it is gorgeous, but in some ways, as a viewing experience, is uncomfortable in ways that do not feel entirely intentional. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it, it, there's places where I'm like, is my TV breaking? I hope not, but I don't think so. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Was Lewis? Was Lewis Gordon more positive on this than 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 me? Yeah, I, I'm not um, negative on it. I'm not. I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to explain why it's kind of. In some ways, it's like I think it's an incredibly well made car, except the engine doesn't turn over for me. Do you know what I, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, I think Lewis approaches it more as a music game. If you if you That's read if you read yeah, his yeah, review, sure. like there's much more of an interest in the way the uh, themes sort of assemble and coalesce and get more complicated, and the way that that is sort of reflecting the game's uh, overall theme. So, like, I think there is a way of relating to this that like I just couldn't fully get there, and I'm down for a game that feels like installation art. And that is but, you're that's a great comparison for this for sure. Yeah. With with each with each of the levels kind of being a new a new space in that in that 
you know, larger gallery, right? Yeah, uh, I just I couldn't. I'm not quite over the moon with it yet, but I, like, I, but I don't dislike it. I think there's part like I think it is playing with grand themes, but I don't I don't think it consistently achieves grandness. And a lot of times, what I'm appreciating is a great deal of craft, uh, and yes. the music does through, rule. It rules. The craft is through the roof. I have no no complaints on how it looks, how it moves. Again, outside of the idea that I think there could have been some tighter connection between theme and play. Um, but, but I, you know, that's not a, that's not a, a deal breaker for me in any way. So Genesis Noir, it's, it's on game pass. It's on steam. It's on, is it on other consoles on switch and stuff too? Or is it just on Xbox? Does anyone know? No one knows. I don't know. It's a mystery. I'm checking their website. It is on steam switch. Gog, Humble Store, Epic, and Xbox. Not on PS5 or 4 or anything like that, apparently. Um, so there's that. Uh, I'm going to shout out something else really quick. I played Mech Mechanic Simulator for a couple of hours. Um, I think some of the... I didn't get... like I, There's stuff in this game that I didn't get to. I will say outright. Um, and I don't think I've played... I'm trying to remember if I've actually played another Mechanic Simulator or if this is the first one of those i've watched people play like the car mechanic simulator games and pc builder simulator like this is a a, a a growing genre um on on steam especially um uh this style of like i guess if you've never seen any of these before this style of sim is like you have a repair shop of some sort and People come to you with jobs. You know, I would even expand this to include something like House Flipper is one of these in some ways um, uh, because of the business management part of it. You have – you get jobs that cross your desk in which in this game you have to repair mechs. You're told, hey, there are three broken parts in this mech. Bring it in. Scan it to find the broken parts. Uh, you're, you're kind of clicking to – clicking on parts of this 3D mech to take it apart. So you'll like click on an armor plate uh, and and then like move your mouse up and then down to remove it. And then you'll click on a brace underneath that. And then that will highlight four screws you need to click on to unscrew. And you're like, you're like go trying to get at the broken part, at which point you take the broken part out. And if you have the right repair stations, bring it over to repair it in a little mini game or otherwise just buying a replacement part from a shop. Um, and putting the part back in, uh, and and you know rebuilding the mech, and sending it out for back to your client, collecting the nice paycheck. It is exact. It is one hundred percent a brain off sort of game. I wish there was more music in the game. There's like one twenty minute music track that cycles. <laughs> um, but so the often- idea is, I'm throwing myself into repetitive brain clearing labor in, and and making the numbers go up is like what these things are. And, and occasionally finding some room for self-expression. There is a paint shop in this game, for instance, where you can decal these mechs and, and paint them. Um, I think the paint shop sucks. You can't paint individual parts. So like if you want to get like, so you have a humanoid looking mech and you have an arm that's like straight down next to its side. It's very hard to get the inside of the arm painted without also touching the like ribs basically of the of the mech and that like the torso of the mech and that sucks let me do i want to paint mechs and i want to do it better than this game lets me rob what are you gonna say so i think when i think when i hear the when i hear uh mech mechanic simulator is that it yes you got it 
I'm like, finally, a game that lets me be Yang from uh, Battletech. <laughs> yeah, just a no. cool shit kicking mechanic. Uh, I'll bet I'll meet lots I of mean, cool pilots. That's the, and the like, v- no, no, and that's a big problem, right? You exist in a in a cyberpunk, you know, uh, uh, a hellscape. You look out your windows and it's all flying cars and a sign that says multi pass because everyone loves Fifth Element. Um, and there's no interaction with people. There's a screen that gives you the jobs. You have one android or robot walking around in your in your shop saying deeply corny lines. <laughs> um, sometimes it's like, uh-oh, my eye fell out. And like, that's like, oh my God, shut up. But other times it'll just say like, Hasta la vista, baby. I'm like, what? Why are you just <laughs> quoting the Terminator, dude? Like, what are you? It's so bad. They know it's bad because in the sound options, there's a button for shut the fucking Android up. There's just a button that says Android. And if you click it, it just makes him not talk anymore. Um, but no, you're not interacting with pilots. You're not doing. And again, I've only played two hours. I know there are still things that will get brought in. Uh, in terms of like, I know there's like a whole calibration system where you actually get in the mech and to pilot it in first person to like test the guns or make sure that they're whatever. Mm. I, I don't know if that's the mini game, but the thing that you're pointing at that I would love that I, when I think about like the mech mechanic of my mind, the mech mechanic of Battletech Yang, who you mentioned, um, there's a there's a component of this that is not can you fix this mech that is not. Can you put this part on it? It's, listen, man, I think we're going to go up against some people with long range missiles. And what we want to do is we need to be able to fight at a long distance because or we want to be able to get in quick. Let's say like that's that's the counter. I want to get in quick under their range and brawl with them. What can you do for me? At which point I would go, hmm, and I look at my huge garage of parts <laughs> salvaged from past things. And there is like you can salvage and repair part or you can go to a junkyard eventually and get parts from the junkyard that are all beat up, fix them up and flip them for profit or put them into, into you know, uh, uh, incoming job requests basically instead of instead of repairing the parts they have or whatever. But what I would want is that sort of like here is our mission. Build me something for this mission. Help me or hey – this thing fell. I got into a real bad scrap and I just got to get back up into fight and shape. What can you do for me? The idea that what I'm instead doing is like the kind of gig work of fixing corporate machines back to pristine status instead of the sort of like decision making that goes into the mech as a modifiable body that you're framing for whatever its need is. It's just not as exciting to me, you know. I I would have more fun just like reading prompts from fans of the of the podcast and then going into BattleTech or MechWarrior and be like, I think I can build you something. What's your budget look like? <laughs> you know. Um, and I think not having any aspect aspect of that, you know, I don't have to think about heat sinks once, Rob. That's what I'm supposed to care. I'm supposed to care about heat sinks. I'm supposed to care. Do I want to put the large lasers or the medium lasers on this fucking thing? Um, and I think the mech designs themselves are kind of fine, but like they're the same five that I get over and over again. Um, I really wish there was more music. I know I already said that once. The basics <laughs> of it are very good. Brain off, you know, make the numbers go up. Click around on this model. It's fun to be like, how the fuck do I get in there? There's one cable in this thing that's broken, <laughs> and it's under eight layers of armor and connective joints and shit. Cool, great. That stuff is fun. Yeah, Kata, that mm. is like... I don't know if any, if either of you have played like a car mechanic sim before or something like that, but that that does seem to be the genuine joy, the sort of like 
scratching your head at how to get at the thing that's broken and then slowly internalizing little quirks of each model. The thing of like, oh, yeah, this thing is great because the, the legs just pop right off. You can get them right off and onto your onto your workbench real quick. But then if you want to get into, you know, if you want to fix the foot unit, like yeah. the, the core of it, you want to take the whole leg apart. Whereas in another model, it's really easy to get to the foot unit. And it's a and similar, take the it's a thing, similar you know? brain thing to like hard space shipbreaker to talk about something yes, recent totally of like but but in this one you have to also be able to put it back together i guess uh yeah yeah i mean and it's not as analog as hard right, as right. hard space shipbreaker is right um uh, it, to that end i think shipbreaker scratches this itch much better for me right. because i don't have the expectation because of what the framing in the genre is to do self-expression i just have the desire to cut things up and get the pieces out right um uh, and that's just a better game at that than this is um and 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 yeah without without some the element context of in like, shipbreaker is also pretty good too the like yeah sideways yeah. jokes about gig work and the labor and all that is you know debt and, and everything <laughs> yeah, else uh-huh. yeah yeah that's no, hard great. space shipbreaker like has the makings of like the citizen Kane of like job um, sims yeah because <laughs> like it's really fussy and satisfying in that yeah. way like you you learn a lot of technique to doing that job. The job is interesting. The context for the job fucking rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and, and I think it's I haven't checked in on it in too long. Pardon? So I haven't checked in on it in too long. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I put it on hold because like I like I just I, I saw enough and I was like I kind of want to see when they yeah. built out yeah. the third act and such. Uh, but yeah, I think the other thing is maybe this is unfair, but. I like mechs and I like the worlds that mechs inhabit and you can't really separate that. Like Mm -hmm. it's genuinely, I am rarely saying, wow, cool robot. Genuinely, that is only part of the appeal. It helps that the robot is cool, but it helps more if the robot has cool people inside of it or controlling it in some way and like has interesting mission profiles and trade-offs and like just a setting, a vibe. And so if you said like when you said like mech mechanic simulator, I'm like, man, I've been I can't wait to be a grease monkey just hanging out with the pilots. Be like, hey, what'd you do to my pot? What'd you do to my mech? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Josie, what'd you do? Oh, come on. (laughs) Oh, what they do to you, girl? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You you took her into melee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) I told you don't get closer than fifty meters. What did I say? I said don't get closer than fifty meters. You get closer than fifty meters. Look, look at what you did. (laughs) Look at what they did to my boy. Oh, you remember a bad mission of Battletech come out feeling like Sonny and in, in Godfather? Uh, Christ. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's. that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Mech Mechanic Simulator. It's, uh, you know, it's, 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 I, again, it's not, I don't think it's a bad game by any means. It just, I, I do wish it had that, that added bit of flavor. Um, uh, uh, also, just to be clear, like that is not an early access thing. That game seems to be the game it is. I don't expect many big changes on that one. So, um, but it, you know, I, if you like those things, maybe there will be something there for you. And again, there are there are a bunch of different like workstations I did not unlock in that first two hours. Um, so maybe there is some additional stuff that I think could you know add some add some some extra some extra flash. Um, anything else that you want to y'all want to hit before we start uh, wrapping up? 
you know, there's a couple games I think I might want to save for Thursday at this point because I could also stand to log more time into them. Sure. But Kato, I did ask you a question you didn't have the answer to uh, no. the other day, which how do you make the ironclad work in Slay the Spire? Ah, <laughs> and I'm starting to learn after months of like throwing myself at this game. Yeah, the cards are a lot of fun. I'd love to collect the cards. I need to stop collecting the fucking cards. Less <laughs> cards. The ironclad. It turns out. If your deck is just like 12 cards, the Ironclad can just be a beast. It's, my it's prefer, not a, my it's preferred not a, approach of like seeding lots of awesome cards into a deck of no. 20, like, boy, imagine how I feel when that thing turns up. And the answer is not great because it'll turn up at the wrong moment and I'm <laughs> yes. utterly fucked. This is um, the, the uh-huh. playing, playing CCGs for years. Yeah. The thing that I, was the hardest to learn was that consistency trumps everything else. If you if you have one good, you know, reliable interaction or if you have one type of interaction that you can rely on coming up, no matter what, what, no matter what hand you draw, you're going to have a better deck than someone who has lots of that has Felix's bag of tricks. Do you know what I mean? Um, And I hate it. I'm with you. I want I want to put a a one off of of every cool card in in all of my decks. (laughs) It's not how those games work. (laughs) Well, yeah. And so the other thing is that I've forgotten is that. Remember, the anger card propagates each time you the ironclad uses it. So you, you draw anger. It's a zero cost, uh, six damage or eight damage attack card. When you play it, two anger cards go into discard. Mm-hmm. And so you keep getting more of these zero point attacks, uh, like propagating through the uh, through the deck. And so... The more you cycle that deck, the more of this like free money you just start getting as the fight goes on, which is like mana from heaven and a boss duel. Um, <laughs> if if the deck is leavened out with enough draw capacity that you can bring you can bring up block as needed, uh, like you don't need points to run an offense. <laughs> Anger will just keep flooding in, yeah, and you'll clean up that way. Right. But like. It's taken me this long to finally have been broken of my habit of being like, ooh, this looks like a delicious little morsel. Oh, this card will be a treat. And then I can't figure <laughs> out why, uh, you know, in Act 3, everything's just turning to shit. And I've got these, like, slugging match battles as I'm trying to cycle through a deck of, like, 25. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. So I'm glad you got it working. You is the, the result of this is you figured out the Ironclad. Less is more. Yeah, but it's less interesting. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I yeah, just 100% like the character class. Uh, I'm with yeah. you. <laughs> I, it's it's. To- I get why it's the first class that you get, but unlocking the side and the feeling of unlocking and learning the silent is top tier game <laughs> moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, this is the Monster Hunter thing, right? Like going to play a new one of these now. And I get the ironclad equivalent. I'm like, come on, just give me the second. Give me something else. Give me something else yeah. juicier. Give me something that's <laughs> a little more complex. Um, and and but I do think the ironclad is a great. What is this game? How does it work? Class choice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, we, we might be getting there in terms of, you know, deck builders to where the onboarding doesn't need to be as simple because because people are are there's enough players out there who understand the basics, right? Um, totally. I certainly wish a second faction had been available in uh, Monster Monster Train out the gate, and that would have kept me on board longer for sure. 
on board the monster. On board train. the monster. <laughs> train. I wasn't gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's quickly dip into the question bucket here. I've been happy we've we've found some time to do questions lately, and I want to try to keep it up. Uh, this one comes in from Brett, uh, who says, uh, "Hey there, Waypoint. I'm looking for advice on how to better learn how to be. Uh, sorry, I'm looking for advice on how to learn to better critique something." be it a game, movie, etc., without boiling it down to vague phrases like I didn't enjoy it or it sucked. As an example, apologies in advance to folks who liked it, but I genuinely didn't like Hereditary. My problem is that beyond saying that no character would act this way or that, a common problem for basically any horror film, I'm unsure of how to better examine my concerns with it without seeming like a nitpicking bore. Was there any resource that helped you folks develop your critical eye, or was it a matter of repetition, schooling, and focus over the years that better honed your skills? Thanks for reading and stay safe out there. Regards, Brett. My number one thing here is like read read criticism. Like that's mm. the actual thing for me was like, yes, repetition, trying to write out your feelings, write out what you feel about something, pushing yourself to like try to understand what it is that didn't sit right with you or what really resonated with you. All that is like good once you have – once you – you know, all that is good and necessary. Um, but I think for me, the starting place has to be like read some film crit. Read music crit. Read what people say. Read what people who are currently professionals at unpacking their feelings about media, how they write about it, and and try to internalize, like pay attention while you're reading it. Don't do the thing that like we all do this from time to time. Oh hey, uh, Monster Hunter Rise dropped. I wonder if it's worth my money. Let me skim this thing and then get to the bottom of it and and say like oh yeah, this person says basically really liked it. I'm gonna buy it. Like sit with the the writing of of critics and pay attention to how they talk about how things do or don't resonate with them. Mm. Um, eventually, it is a, it is it is a you know, it's not just jargon. It is it is its own sort of language uh, and it's its own skill set in in unpacking how you feel about something. Um, and I think if you do, for me, doing that work is what got me to be able to use that language myself. I would say. Um, I don't. When I say language again, I don't mean the jargon. I don't mean right. like with not only with film talking about like different types of shots or something like that, but specifically how how do I how do I feel when Terrence Malick changes the scale in Tree of Life, or when <laughs> when David Fincher spends you know so much time uh, setting up the mysterious killer in Zodiac knowing that it will be a subversion of a traditional story in terms of whether or not that killer is revealed. You know, whatever mm. like that, whatever that is, comes from thinking about what other people have written and and understanding to think about the work in that way. I think that everyone is everyone is always connecting to work in that in that deeper thematic sense, but knowing how to unpack that gut reaction takes time, effort, and familiarity with that yeah. mode of thinking. I don't know if, if either of you have had different experiences there. Well, I mean, I going to art school, you get a lot of practice. Sure. Uh, like, that's <laughs> basically most of what class is actually. Once you're in yeah. college for art school, it's you you spend all of your outside time making work and in class time critiquing work. Um, one thing that uh, kind of to speak more specifically to this idea of like that, like that that the 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 emailer was saying about um nitpicking like 
character choices and things like that, especially in like the horror genre. There's always, uh, I, I kind of understand that impulse, but one of the like tricks or like things that I, I try to do when considering that sort of thing is to think less, why is that character doing that thing when I would do something else in this situation? And more thinking of like, this character is doing this thing for a purpose, right? Like the, the creators of the thing decided to do that for a reason. Can I suss out what the reason is? Is that reason good enough? Did they communicate that reason well enough in that action? Right? Like this is, those are the kind of questions you start to kind of ask yourself when you're like, um, uh, trying to think more critically about like character decisions past the, like, is that, um, is that realistic? Right. Is that what a, an average person would do in said situation? It's more like, this is, uh, a piece that someone ma- made with the intent of putting some meaning into it. Can I suss out what that is, or if there's anything that I make myself with that uh, decision? Right, right. Sure. Um. Just like yeah, to, to be a little more specific, but also yeah, like like what you what you were saying about just practicing and also consuming a lot of criticism in that mode of understanding criticism as a as a form. Yeah, I think. One of the things to watch out for is um, we live in the golden age of nitpick criticism, uh, and you sort of have, have, have ta- like tapped into that. That like a lot of criticism uh, that you find in uh, mainstream spaces uh, tends to be like, "Well, that's dumb. That that doesn't make sense." Right. And a lot of times, you are better off at looking at are these things at least consistent with the rules of the story that have been laid out? Are they consistent with the motivations ascribed to these characters? I think when the answer starts to be no, th- that does start to raise some flags. You know, like why yeah. is like is this a problem that the film is or or a game or anything is not observing sort of the markers it puts down uh, early on? That can be a major problem. Sometimes it's not, but I, I do think broadly the the argument that you just need to read a lot of criticism uh helps a lot and i think it the the film is nice because there's a lot of really good collections of good criticism uh that you can you can go to um pauline you can just just start reading pauline kale right now and not (laughs) stop for three weeks like (laughs) right and like and she's a divisive critic uh absolutely but but one who will help you understand what criticism is for sure yeah and and so those are that, that's the direction you can go. A thing that I get a lot of reward uh, from doing right now is when I watch a film uh, that I haven't seen afterwards, I tend to look up a lot of different reviews for it. Um, yeah. And, or even if it's a film I know really, really well, I am just curious what other critics uh, started to like, what, what they drew from it. Um, and, I won't always agree, but like it'll help me dial in what a lot of times they will be keying off things in the story that maybe I totally missed. And like I will understand, oh, yeah, I did react that way. I just didn't fully understand why it didn't work on that gut level. Um, And then when you do that survey, when you do the thing of like, hey, what did what did five or six different critics take from this thing? They will inevitably pull on different parts of, of a work, especially a really good work. Um, I, I often find that when critics are aligned in terms of thinking something doesn't work, it's often for pretty understandable reasons. It's a, a, a failure that is pretty obvious. But when something really works for a bunch of different people, they often will find something that different they, – they will spend their time identifying for the reader 
different elements that really helped the, the work sing. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm now curious. We've been talking about Fincher, you know, in this podcast. <laughs> I'm very curious to go back now and read, like, what contemporary response was to something like Zodiac, which I know did not review as positively as Social Network, to see, you know, for the for the folks who did like it, what was it that they that they responded so well to. Um, and, and yeah, I think that that specific thing of like, oh, that's me. You're describing my reaction <laughs> is such a key part of, of understanding your own relationship, not only to a particular work, but more generally. I've always said this about good criticism helps, has always helped me recognize not just my own relationship with a particular object, but like my taste more generally is is elucidated by reading critics who help me identify trends in my own taste, if that makes sense. Um, the last piece of advice I, I would give is that I frequently try to, like, a fun exercise is ask yourself, what is this work of art about? It is The answer is never literal. The answer is very, or very rarely literal. Like, if you take Die Hard, Die Hard is literally about a an off-duty cop foiling a huge heist. The movie yeah. is about anxieties of a patriarchal uh, white white male of a certain era realizing that his conception of himself is under threat from these di different vectors. And they're given literal form in this movie. The slick, you know, the slick European uh -huh. businessman, the uh, Japanese conglomerate, uh, the fact that his wife is a very successful career woman whose mm -hmm. earning power is vastly outstripping his. And there's the fact that he's a bit estranged from himself because he has fucked up their marriage because he is hardwired to say the most destructive thing possible rather than actually give voice to his actual feelings and insecurities. That's what that movie's actually about. Like Die Hard isn't about like we got to stop these 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 vault robbers. <laughs> That's not why yeah. that movie's interesting. There's a million movies about trying to stop like uh you know thieves from getting away with it. <laughs> Die Hard's a classic because it's about these things that are really deeply resonant to a lot of people, even That's if they exactly don't realize it. why. Yeah, exactly. There, there is, there is that that second layer of thing that's happening is actually a a through line. And when I when I say a through line, that's one of those that's one of those pieces of language that might be dead language because I don't know that it, I don't know that it conjures the image in the mind that it it sometimes does for me. Which is, uh, you know, a through line is like a piece of of string or a thread around which the rest of the film is or the rest of the work hangs it's like a necklace it's like the band of a necklace everything hangs on that thing and the charms might be beautiful on themselves but they're best when worn together and and something like die hard that has that that clear thrust that that kind of motivates so many choices in who is around mclean how mclean act, acts everything around it means that all those things are able to kind of pull together uh, be be seen in relief and not just hang as as independent parts, which is which is why sometimes it can be it can be so strange to watch something or play something where you go like, I really like 
a bunch of scenes in this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just don't like this movie. Why <laughs> is that? And sometimes it's like, well, because there's nothing pulling it all together. There is no thrust to it, or there, is, or, or or to the degree that there is one, so many things go against that thrust in 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 some way. Um, and and I think identifying, learning how to look for that thing. And again, there might not only be one reading. Do you know what right. I mean? There, you can find other readings that help something cohere. Um, uh. But I, but I think learning to develop that and look for that stuff is is a, has always been a key thing for me in terms of in terms of criticism. I'm thinking about the Tarantino uh, Top Gun uh, scene from the where he's interpreting Top Gun as uh, a <laughs> like a story of suppressed uh, homoerotic desire, and this oh, is a scene in a movie. This is a, movie. This is a well known scene. Uh, but he's a Apparently character. This is from Sleep with Me. I've not seen this clip. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good clip that sort of distills some of the work of criticism. And mm-hmm. it, the thing I love about it is this is him, you know, like cornering someone at a party, basically, and then just load, unloading this theory on somebody. But the cool thing that it gets at is this shit's fun. Like by the end, when he sort of made his case, his audience, who was sort of like bullied into having this conversation, they both end up getting getting into it because it is fun to realize, like, wait, no, that that story is not about itself at all. It's about this completely other thing. And now that you see it, it becomes a much richer and more interesting text than just a bland uh, piece of like eighties genre work or something like that. Um, and so I think, like, I think the other, the other thing to bear in mind is this stuff is often more fun than it is pretentious. It is a way to have more fun with a thing that you yeah, enjoy that's exactly rather it. than yes. take fun out. Yeah. I, again, I, I very rarely think criticism is, and this is the final read on this work. Right. It is almost always the act of diving back into the pool of meaning and, and swimming a few laps <laughs> and trying to like find something fun to to talk about or something enlightening something that like helps you think through some some current fascination or interest um and i think the confusion of criticism for some sort of final judgment is caught up in a lot of things ranging from the desire for for less for criticism and more for consumer you know uh uh if i'm being generous consumer advocacy if i'm not being generous you know, a buyer's guide to the world. Um, also caught up with, you know, and here here we are doing a sort of meta critique of criticism itself, uh, but also definitely caught up in in uh, you know a long range of uh, or long history of um, kind of Western ideas about about judgment writ large, right? Mm-hmm. Like we like to think about judgment as final. It is easy to think about judgment as as one and done. Um, but judgment as lived is something you return to, regret, work over, sit with, change um, in a way that is not as clean as as maybe like our carceral systems would have you believe. Mm. Um, uh, so I, I think in general, like the 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 notion of working on our our kind of critical tool set, but also just our willingness to re-enter a work and to change our opinion or or think through it. Is is a huge part of of or is a deeply useful tool even beyond the realm of sitting down with a movie and being like, did I like it and why did I like it? Why do I feel the way I do about this? Um, I, I don't know. It is it is it is useful and it is fun. I highly recommend it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope people, if you if you've never thought about things this way, give it a try. Try to write three paragraphs on on a movie that spoke to you or that you hated, and and try or to even get at just, what you hated. Like if you if you have any friends that are also interested in, like I really yeah. love like debriefing basically with my wife yeah. after a movie because we're both have that background in arts, and it's just like, what did you think about that thing? Like, how did you read th- that thing? You know, yes. like. Just talking it out is is can be a, a good way to do that, even even if you're not gonna like write it down somewhere. Totally. I mean, uh, this is why I get so frustrated at some uh, of the sort of conversation that I think this this uh, emailer 100 realizes they want to get beyond. This is like the classic people complaining about Prometheus because the characters didn't turn left while the big thing was rolling <laughs> at them. That was um, that was something though. <laughs> It's something, but I don't care. Yeah, like no, it's, what it's not the, that big I, of a deal. What I care deal. about more it's is just funny. What I care, what I care more about is, okay, well, what's happening there? Why is that? Why has that? What can we? What meaning can we make from that moment? Yeah. Then the like, I'd so much rather have that conversation than like, then yeah, it was dumb. They didn't turn left. Um, also, a note: <laughs> I absolutely, fully believe that uh, in. I don't remember if this was in Man of Steel or in. BVS or in Justice League, but th- absolutely, he shows characters deciding to turn left instead of run with the falling building. And I am, I am, I've never everything I just said about judgment never being final. Throw it out the window. I guarantee on my life that was Zack Snyder being like, "Hey, yo, fuck Prometheus, Ridley Scott, get fucked, homie." I actually have no idea what the red letter ain't gonna get me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those motherfuckers uh, ain't coming for me. Well, Prometheus is a fun one to bring up because that one is a movie uh, that's explicitly about meaninglessness, right? Like, I mean, that yes, you're right. Ridley Scott is, is there being like, hey, what's all this mean? Fuck you. It means nothing. It means that you could never know what it means because it all was put in motion so long ago and for reasons that are so alien to you. And you stupid motherfuckers decided this alien was a god. <laughs> You came and you came and woke up this thing that you thought was a god just to ask, oh. like, hey, why'd you do all this? How do you think that's going to go? <laughs> that movie is not uh. good, but it's all right. It's, it's not. It is, like, it, it's like, memorable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, now I'm like, okay, Ridley Scott films. Where did Ridley Scott peak? Alien? We had this conversation, didn't we? We 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 had yeah, I think you're yeah, you might be right. <laughs> I feel like we had this conversation recently, Rob, didn't we? About like has Ridley Scott made a good movie? How long has it been oh, since yeah, Ridley Scott yeah, made yeah. a truly good movie? Um and I think you said Gladiator. No, I, I so I'm but I, I might I even said come around Thelma to say that uh, Kingdom of Heaven uh director's cut is not bad. Oh, you know what? I actually, you're, yes, that is that is the one. Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is actually genuinely um, deeply enjoyable. Hmm. I, I the that's a movie that was done was done dirty by its theatrical cut oh. for sure. <laughs> Huge character arcs swept away. Um, <laughs> anyway, we we can't keep going down this route, but but oh, yeah. shit, I for, you know I forget about the Martian. That movie's all right. That was that's fun. It's I never a good saw. Movie. I never saw the Martian again. Here, here you go. There's a that's a movie that's just sometimes a, a director, a story director just wants to make a flick. You know. <laughs> um. All right, we should wrap this up. If you have questions, you can send them to gaming at vice dot com. That is the email address. Please put question in the subject because I mean, even at that point, we're getting so many that it's it can be hard to 
see through them, but uh, but I definitely have, have gotten emails, seen emails come into the Waypoint account that are just going to get caught up with notes about audiograms and <laughs> PR releases about augmented reality and uh, game announcements and true crime podcast revives interest in horrific 45-year-old cold, cl- cold case murder. Oh, hey. See, I don't... That's not talking about that. only <laughs> if only like police departments back in the day had podcasters around. They could have cracked so many cases. Uh-huh. So I'm here to tell you. So you probably think you know about Charles Lindbergh, famous aviator, uh, all American, all American boy. But there's something else you maybe don't know about him. And that t- relates in some shocking ways to what happened on Baby. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for us. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Uh, where can people find you, Kato? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Rob. At Rob Zachney. As always, you can follow all of us, twitter.com slash waypoint, waypoint.vice.com. Uh, any, any articles you want to shout out besides Lewis Gordon's review of, um, of Genesis Noir that's up on the site? Sorry, I'm very distracted by this Gladiator 2 announced on Ridley Scott's uh, IMDb page, which is Uh ominous as hell, because we all know what that Gladiator 2 uh, script was, right? No, what What? was it? So the problem is the Gladiator's dead at the end of of (laughs) Gladiator. Spoilers for Gladiator Gladiator. 2. They brought him back. (laughs) If the original Gladiator 2 script was sort of an uh, Orpheus type thing. But uh-huh. like, what if Orpheus had to kick some serious ass? <laughs> is that true? Or is yeah. this hypothetical? No, wow. it, like it was, it was a, like he goes in, like it's this sort of Stygian realm yeah. uh-huh. uh, version of gladiator. Okay. I'm actually more on board. Mm. I'm on board now. Mm. I'm I'm in. Let's go. But you should check out the site. We do have some good things up there. Yeah, uh, Nicole Clark uh, wrote up a cool city builder that's more of a puzzle game, Dorf Romantic. Oh, uh, that game's really cool. I played that demo a few a few months ago. Yeah, it's a tile uh, placement city builder uh, that's sort of all about uh, like that fun part of board games. Cat uh, mm-hmm. Bailey uh, had an interview with the MLB The Show team and how they're kind of doing a lot of things that point to a direction of them moving in a more 2K direction, trying to create more of a online franchise mode, but without actually saying they're doing that. So like uh, yeah. right now they've got it. They're, they're selling a lot of features that don't make sense unless you start to assume that there's a bigger plan uh, in, in play. So uh, that's, that's a feature worth checking out. Um, I wrote Cat up, Bailey, I just want to shout out. I briefly, I did go on the Axel blood God uh, I want to say a month or two ago. Uh, I think that that's right. Uh, so people go check out that episode. That was fun. That was a, a a joyous conversation about tabletop stuff, Mass Effect, and some other stuff. That was uh, episode. Uh, it was February fifteenth. I don't I don't see an episode number, but it's in there somewhere. You'll Sorry, it wasn't that, that was, long ago. Yeah, people will look it up. Yeah, yeah. you'd one more, Rob. Sorry. No, just uh, site's been good. Check out the that's site. Been good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, that will truly, really do it for us. Thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track. Miss you off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Until later this week, uh, and even beyond, fuck capitalism. Go home. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right. I have a phrase that's rattling around in my head. I just need to get it out. What is it? Sneko wafers. What's why? Just from Slay the Spire. Mm. Oh, sure. Right. I hate yeah. that little fucker. <laughs> I hate that. That <laughs> fucking sucks. Like, you, you talking about, you, like, I couldn't figure out, like, why, why, like, why is this character, like, obliterate my ability to play this game so badly? And it's because, oh, it's the character that destroys consistency. All the things that <laughs> you yes. learn yes. to do. Yep. The shitty little cute snake. A little mm-hmm. button eyes. Snacko. Ah, what a Snacko. game. You can, get a, you can get his eye, right? You can get his eye as a... As yeah. A, what do you call it as a um but you shouldn't trinket or whatever what's that one do i think it continues to do like the sneko effect like you get a bigger effect? draw but it oh, yeah, changes that's what it is. um you, you start confused which randomizes costs um uh but you draw two extra turn two extra uh cards a turn nope mm. no thanks not today if, satan what if you get a zero <laughs> cost sneko. one of your Big cost cards. It'll be great. It'll be totally uh, worth is, it. This is in how that it moment. feels. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that did happen to me today where I had like a uh, four cost, uh, like 32 damage card. And yeah. the Sneko like, brought it out as zero. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> that's great. That's cool. Thanks. I love it when that is the... Uh, <laughs> When that is the 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 thing that wins you the fight, you know, or or gets you one over on that motherfucker, feels good. You you did this to yourself, homie. <laughs> um, all, right. all right, I'm gonna go eat lunch. Right. Talk to you Bye later. Y'all. Bye, guys.